Are you ready? How's it going, everybody? Welcome back in the Three Step Drop Podcast. We're back here, episode three. Very special episode. Uh, I'm here joined by a guy that means a lot to me, one of my mentors, former Syracuse quarterback, 2010 to 2013. He's now the head of quarterback country Atlanta, private quarterback training down in Atlanta, and my former college quarterback coach at St. Anselm College, Charlie Lowe. What's up, coach? How we doing? Good, good, good. Just staying cool in the car after a lot of hot quarterback training today, man. Hell yeah, dude. Staying busy. Staying busy. Always open. You guys getting back down there. Dude, I appreciate you coming on, man. This is this is a cool one for me to everybody listening just because I guess the best way to start this thing would be to kind of get into my – you know, I wanted to start off with kind of how I ended up at, at St. A's. You know, if you remember that day, you know, I don't know if too many people know the story of when I came up and, and visited you and uh, Coach Heff. So, you know, if you remember, um, you know, I, I got up there just to kind of show people – you know, the, the bond that we kind of made on that first day, I went up there, snow on the ground. I think we had no students on campus, um, you know, went up there, talked to Coach Adam, and then was introduced to Coach Heffernan, who's now the head coach up at St. Scholastica in Minnesota. But um, he was our offensive coordinator at the time. So met with you. We went up, didn't go in a single academic building. I don't think we saw a single dorm. We went into the, the coffee shop, picked up some burgers, and went back down yeah. to the coaches' meetings. We ended up sitting – I remember we sat in the back. It was, you know, kind of a, a dark, typical assistant coach office. We sat back there for, I think, an hour and a half and just talked football. And, you know, without ever having seen an academic building or seen the cafeteria, you know, it, after everything that I built at Merrimack, it was like, you know, this is, this is a guy that I want to be around. You know, I'd never met anybody really ever that had loved football as much as me. And then, you know, our two personalities clashed up at, at St. A's and, you know, it was, it was a fit for, for better or worse. It was an awesome time that we had together, but, you know, pumped to have you on here. Yeah, man, I think uh, I, I remember that day really well. And I think, especially when you get to the quarterback position, it's, it's always guys that are just motivated with like this obsessive behavioral pattern. Which you see in a lot of sports with guys that are really chasing greatness. I think quarterback is such a uh, you know a complicated position, and, and there's so many different levels to it, from physical, mental, to leadership, spiritual, and like you got to be really well rounded in all of them. And like the only way you can do that is through hours and hours of dedicated and obsessive training. Like that's what it comes down to. If you want to be great at anything, but in particular quarterbacking, I mean, you do all that work and now you're just, you're just keeping up with the Joneses. What are you going to do to push yourself above everybody else? And then, yeah, God forbid you put two of those guys in the same room, man. You're, you're never going to leave without, you know, talking football for 10 hours. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. That was kind of the beginning of our, you know, we went up there, we were there together for two years, but, you know, you kind of talked about, that was actually kind of something that I wanted to hit on early you know, when people think about quarterback and people are always, you know, people love the the couch quarterback. You look on Twitter after, you know, a guy like Carson Wentz will go out and, you know, might throw two picks and you'll see everybody, you know, 
guy's a bomb, guy's this. To the people out there listening that have never stood five yards behind the center, what is the hardest thing about playing the quarterback position that people would never think of? You know, I I think I was talking with with somebody recently. We're talking baseball, actually. They were saying that the average, to the best major league baseball prospect coming out of high school, you're going to spend on average five years in the minor league. Um, at the very best. So you're 18 years old, 23 years old or so, you'll be the majors. Uh, they said catchers, however, if you're the very best catcher prospect in minor league baseball, it takes on average eight years. So you come out at 18, you're 26 years old, and you've been through you know, the ranks, and you're 26 year old rookie now, just hitting the majors. And, uh, and you still have. But the amazing, that's not the end of the growing process, right? You're still, you're still just a rookie, man. You got so much to learn. And well, that's that's because so much of that position is you're managing a game, right? You're calling pitches, you're you're videoing pitches, you have this relationship, this non-verbal relationship with your pitcher, you know, six feet away from you, and like there's so many nuances there, and you gotta be smart, and you gotta be athletic, and you gotta be reactive. Well, do all of that. But there's 300-pound men chasing you, trying to hit you, and it's such a dynamic, dynamic setting where you have three to four seconds of just chaos, and you're managing this game. You're using physical and mental attributes, and it changes every single week, of, you know, with your opponent. And you got to just wipe the slate clean and be able to create new reactionary patterns, new, you know, you know, non-cognitive responses crazy, crazy things happening around you. So, like, man, how do you, you have to be such a special individual to be able to process that information and then without any hitch, without any delay, go and put it into play on the game field, man. Such a special person that can do all that and then, like, like you said, be able to come out with the results and, and, and making big plays in championship plays to be crunch time situations. So, like, it's, it's so unique in that regard, I think. Yeah, it's it's the best. I mean, it, it's something I, I've just loved since I was little. Just, you know, everything about quarterback is so, I mean, even something as little as, and people take it for granted, you toss on a guy's highlight film, you know, five minutes of a highlight film, even something as little as, you know, people won't pick up on it, but, you know, he moves a, a three quarters of a foot to the right and then the ball's out immediately. So you don't really think about that move, but you know, without that pocket movement, he's getting bumped in the back by his left tackle and, and stuff like that, that just goes so unnoticed that, you know, to, for guys like you and me, you know, it's, that's what you spend an hour of, you know, indie time during practice, you know, you're working these things and it's, you know, still probably not going to go how you want because it's the least black and white position at all of, in all the sports, it feels like. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the reasons why I, uh, I, I'm not working in college level or, you know, organizational level football, I'm doing private quarterback training. I just I really want to take a deep dive further and further into the position and the nuances. And you think you know, you know, any subject and then go and try to immerse yourself in it, you know, to really find out how little you actually know, regardless of your personal experience or 
or whatnot. So it's been really enlightening and, and really just eye-opening getting into this world where, like, I'm so I'm not I'm not the guy creating scheme. I'm not recruiting guys. I'm coaching the techniques of the position. Whoever, you know, it could be a pop Warner kid, it could be a college guy that shows up, and, and how do I make this game simpler for him? How do I make him more efficient in his movement? Right, and these can be very general answers, or they can be very, very nuanced and technical answers. So, like, you want to make sure you have the right answer for the right guy, and not overload him, and let him be able to play fast and loose. So, it's uh, it's been a really good learning experience for me being able to be country. Yeah, that's been that's been cool. So, for the people that don't, so Coach Loeb was up at St. A's with me, and then he ended up leaving the coach coaching ranks, like he said. Uh, to go down to Georgia and kind of run his own private quarterback training. You know, I know guys like Daniel Jones was a first-round pick last year. He was working with quarterback country. And, you know, it's a lot of it's rhythm, footwork, drops, a lot of more technical stuff, like you said. One of the things that, you know, we talked about briefly, but so your, your mentor, you know, I know you've given him a lot of credit. Coach Hackett, um, you know, that he was your quarterback coach and offensive coordinator at Syracuse. Now the offensive coordinator for, for Aaron Rodgers up in Green Bay. He was there during Jacksonville's little run. Probably should have beaten us up in New England uh, from 2016 to 2018. He was their OC. Give, give me a little bit about Coach Hackett and what he's meant for kind of you playing and, and beyond that in your football career. You know, more than anything, you know, I look back at my time with Coach Hackett and the most impactful thing that he did with me was I've never seen a guy more excited to be on the game field. I've never seen a guy – have more energy to go over a 4-3 front in the quarterback classroom. He just brought uh, an unstoppable positive energy everywhere you went. And you just wanted to be like him. You wanted to be around him. You wanted the world to just be able to like, be like, oh, let's operate like this. This is what a champion looks like. This is what somebody that is, whatever situation he's going to be dealt with, is going to make the best of it, right? And that, that's been the, the biggest lasting impact from him, uh, more so than any other thing that I've taken away from him. And, you know, it, it, on top of that, he's just a wealth of football knowledge, just like I talked about earlier. I mean, he's obsessive. <laughs> he's a smart guy. He's obsessive. And he just he continues to want to refine his, his knowledge of the game, wants to continue to understand more about it and how to how to, you know, fully round out his knowledge and how, you know, as a coach, I think one element that's so important is it's not what you know. It's what can you get your players to really fully comprehend and, and play with. Who cares how smart you are as a coach if you can't, um, you know, express that to your players or even if you can express it to your players, but it doesn't help them on the game field. Like, what, what are you doing to help them in that regard? So, like, he was fantastic at taking some really complicated things, you know, and complicated is, is relative to, you know, your positions. But, you know, I remember being a young guy coming up and being really confused with three down front. And, you know, how do I see this guy? Is he the down guy or is he the down? And he would make these really complicated ideas. You know, somehow it's very simple for me. So that on game day or practice day, they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah. Coach just says this. And sometimes it's some goofy, silly catchphrase, right? Sometimes it's, you know, 
it's something that catches your eye or attention. I think that's what good coaches do, man. They, they make it so you don't have to think that hard and you're able, again, it's just kind of relax, play yeah. fast, just kind of like you're playing a little bit of recess ball, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like, just go have some fun. Don't overthink this. Let's react to when people are chasing us, but let's, let's, um, let's play fast, have fun, and be champions. Hell yeah. One of the kind of mixing in with it. So while you were, while you were at Syracuse, you know, you're not only your coaches that you were surrounded by your head coach at the time. Also, you know, another guy that was with uh, coach Hackett, Doug Marone, now the head coach at in Jacksonville, but not just the coaches that you have. One of the, one of the coolest things about quarterback and, you know, we had a pretty similar dynamic at St. A's, um, you know, with, with my good friend, Eric Fairweather, that was the other quarterback on the roster at the time. Um, you know, your, your, your roommate, while you were at Syracuse, Ryan Nassib, um, who ended up becoming a fourth-round pick for the New York Giants, had some time in Jacksonville with Coach Marone. You know, what it was kind of that relationship like with Ryan, you know, coming into each week, you know, having, you know, it's a strange thing, just like a goalie, like a catcher, you know, where one guy is going to come in and play and, you know, it's it's his job. But at the same time, you know, you're going to compete your balls off every single day. You're going to come in, you want to, you want each other to work hard and, you know, you want to push him, you know, what was that relationship like for you guys, you know, having been roommates and, you know, playing together at, at Cuse? Oh, I say it all the time to my guys now, like, dude, you might be the second best high school quarterback in the state, but guess what? You could be on the same team as the best quarterback in the state. So does it make you bad? No, it's just like relative to the situation. It is what it is, right? And you can't control those outside variables. All you can do is focus on yourself, get yourself better, compete, be a winner, be a champ. Do everything you can to make yourself the best player, and then people will take care of the rest. And like you said, if we both have the opportunity to share the room, you know, I'm talking about the room, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we both have the opportunity to share the room with not just starters ahead of us that were really good players, but you know, the guys that the other backups and, and whatnot that came to win and maybe got a chance to play a little that were also next players. There's very few guys, I don't care what level you're at, playing the quarterback position that are not usually used to being the best players on their team, not used to being the best athlete on the field, regardless of what sport you're playing. I mean, how many times as a quarterback, like you're like, okay, I'm the I'm the starter on base starter number one pitcher on baseball team. I'm a smart starting small forward on a basketball team, all state in basketball, all state in football. Okay, yeah, I'm going, you know, into a, a room full of five, six guys that are just like that. Like, mm-hmm. that is always the dynamic of the position because it self-spikes itself as you go up the ranks to just this really high-level performer and high achiever on and off the field. It, it just, it's so, so competitive. And, um, you know, I think of it like my situation Brian, uh, no different. You know, and early on, especially, I mean, I, I was competing for the job and redshirt freshman, really. And uh, he beat me out and he was a redshirt sophomore. So yeah, out of me. yeah. And uh, we're both young guys, you know, so, uh, you know, maybe not the most mature outlook on the situation. You know, there was there is maybe that, that natural friction of like, this guy's competing for my job. He's trying to take my job. 
Uh, and then, you know, like, I'm done for his job. I can't be his friend. You know, kind of, kind of that. And, and that definitely existed a little bit. I remember we didn't even talk that much. <laughs> We'd be on the road and we always talk that much in the room. <laughs> in like our hotel room, you know, I think kind of quiet, just kind of watching rerun some stupid TV show, waiting for a game to come. Yeah. And, uh, as time went on, though, I would say we both developed a more mature outlook and, you know, like, a more winning outlook on the situation where it was like, this guy's here and this guy is trying to be the best player he possibly can be, the best person, the best leader he can possibly be. It's not my job to heal his position. It's not my job to undercut him in any way. It's my job to build myself up to the point that I can either, one, overcome how good of a player he currently is, or two, push him to become an even better player. And that's oh, your yeah. job. That's everybody's job on the team. You need to build yourself up as high as you possibly can, and that holds everybody else around you accountable to continue to grow, or if they elect not to grow, not to work, then they're going to be left behind. And that's what winning teams do, and that's what winning cultures do. And that's the mindset you have to have. It's not me versus him. It's me versus me. How good can I become? And then the, the rest falls, you know, the way that it should. And I take a little pride maybe in Ryan being the mm-hmm. NFL player. Yeah. Ryan exactly. being a record player. Because I helped push that guy. I was mm-hmm. a part of that, you know? And I, I, I like to think I became a, a pretty damn good player and a pretty damn good student so, and and part of this game and this quarterback brotherhood because of what he forced me to do, mm-hmm. you know, and what I got to learn from him. And, and, but it's not just a one-way street. He learned and was pushed for me, just like the other guys are. I mean, there's another guy staying in contact with the son. His name's John Kinder, training quarterbacks up in New York. Look at that. We're in the same room, and we're both doing the same job, probably because we we're both just learning so much from each other and pushing each other. It's like you uncover so much more of the game when you take it on yourself to, to just grow as a person, as a player, as opposed to just trying to get one inch better than your opponent. That's not good. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. That that was awesome. I mean, you know, to your credit, I was looking at it today. It was on Instagram and saw a guy who was transferring to a different school and you got guys in the comments like, oh, he couldn't even play there. Like, he's trash. A lot of guys are in that situation, like you said, where guys are pushing each other. 2012, you went out to the Manning Passing Academy. So you get to work with Eli, get to work with Peyton, and you ended up winning that competition. You end up beating out – Aaron Murray, who was uh, an accomplished guy at Georgia in his own right. Matt Barkley, another guy that year uh, over at USC. And Geno Smith. Give me a little, uh, give me a little story from, from that weekend and what that was like working down there with those guys and <laughs> in that environment. Man, uh, so Manning Passing Academy, got a long relationship with. I, I pay Manning my, my all-time diehard number one. No offense, Tom Brady fan. Tom Brady's fantastic. Probably the greatest of all time, and in many regards, and longevity being one of them, you know, just being able to play at such a high level and continue to develop as a player, even yeah. at an older age. But like Manning, yeah, I grew up a UT fan, and was, you know, I'm just a diehard. So from I think the age of seventh grade, 
I went to the Manning Cat Company as a camper. And then uh, once I got to Syracuse, the first couple of years, you know, it's a summer workouts or whatever. I'm there during the summer, and I forget how it came about, but start learning and like, thinking like, hey, guys can college guys can go coach down at the Manning Cat Academy, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So it's like. There's coaches in the Manning Academy. There are a lot of guys like me. They're like private quarterback coaches, or maybe they're quarterback coaches at the school, high school or college, or even the pros. And then there's like 20-ish college quarterbacks there. And uh, I found a way kind of to get myself in there for two years as a college player to be a counselor there. And uh, awesome time. Just just top-notch people. Manning, number one. Number two, everyone involved in our organization that's running it uh, and participating in it. You won't, you won't get to a better room of men uh, than you will when you're at the Manning Pass Academy sitting around, you know, like your pre-practice meeting in terms of you got all the coaches there reviewing how we're going to attack today and like the wealth of knowledge there is incredible, but also just the level of high value characters in there at even time. Um, so anyways, yeah, the two years there as a college counselor are awesome. You know, it's, it's long days of, of coaching up high school guys, really, for the most part, from all over the country, all over the world. But you guys from, you know, places you didn't know they played football. In. <laughs> and uh, just, just a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, so they, they always have that carried out competition where more or less they just put targets on golf carts. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, a high-pressure situation. They hold it at State and they fill the stands up with locals and parents and campers. Oh, hell yeah. They put you out there hoping that you can get some targets and make some impressive throws. And So I, I did it the first year. I think I did okay. I think mean, kid from Harvard. His name was uh, Collier Winters. Collier Winters from Harvard won it the first year I was there. Wow. Great guy. And then, uh, again, you know, so David versus Goliath, and, you know, he's a little five foot ten guy, 5'11 guy at Harvard. <laughs> you know, those guys, those SEC country guys, don't even know Harvard got a football team. Uh, and, uh, you know, he goes out there, kills it. They get it to every target, doesn't miss. He's a champion. They put him up on the shoulders like Rudy, man. And then, uh, <laughs> You know, basically the next year I went in. I'm kind of it's kind of Dave versus Goliath again. He's like, who the hell am I? You know, it's a backup quarterback in Syracuse, but at least I was taller. But I'm left-handed, which is weird. Um, but yeah, I just went out and hit the target. Just slinging it. You got to win the. Got to win the. Basically, what you win is a, a cool picture with the Manning family. And, I mean, uh, it was it was a fun experience. It was really, you know, as a quarterback, do you care what you're competing at? No. Hell Whatever man. it is, your game, man. Yeah. It, you know, you're playing cornhole, hacky sack, doesn't matter. You want to win. That's so, eight. I stumbled I, upon a video earlier today. So you guys went out in 2013, your last year. You guys went out to the Texas Bowl in Houston. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Bowl games are really fun. So you went really out to – speaking of wanting to win at anything, we're the same way, whether it's, you know, whether it's Madden or – you know, beer pong, or you're playing cornhole. It doesn't matter. You know, you're, you're going for the win. So that came across a video. I'll share it with, with the people. Do you remember the, uh, they called it the rodeo bowl. They called it the rodeo bowl. Hey, toss. So it's, it's, a, it's 
amazing. You guys in the University of Minnesota, you ended up winning the game 21-17, but I see videos of you just sprawling across, you know, the mud, diving for a big hay bale. You know, what what, what was some of that competition there? What was all that like? That looked that looked freaking awesome. Yeah, I, like uh, the Texas Bowl host, they, they had this competition pre-game, you know, maybe three. It was like the first night that we got to use it, I think. And it was like, you know, they busted all over to some rodeo uh, or a bunch of – most of us are like Northeast guys in Syracuse. We never been a damn rodeo. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't know what's going on. We're going against Minnesota, which – no, I think I don't know Minnesota. Hell, they may have some more rodeos than you know upstate maybe. New York slash East Coasters, uh, but I don't know. Maybe they have some, but we we consider ourselves maybe the underdogs going into that one. But by hell, yeah, are we going to lose? Like, you know, like we're going to go show them show them how it's done. And uh, yeah, I got to I got to participate in that hail the hay bale toss. I don't know if that really goes on rodeos. I, I wanted to ride the bull, but that wasn't that wasn't there. That would have been an absolute option. Would have been an absolute time. But we won. Yeah, I think we swept them. In fact, I think I'm fairly positive we, we beat them in every competition. So we yeah, I think there was like seven seven competitions. That was awesome. That was that's hilarious. I'll share that video. I'll send that over to you. That was I was dying laughing when I found that earlier. <laughs> you gotta win, man. You can't you can't give them an inch. Everything you do. Hell yeah. Everything. So, ready? You said it. Lefty quarterback. A lot of weight is on the shoulders of Tua Tagovailoa as he comes in the league. Not only as the centerpiece of the Miami Dolphins organization, but as essentially the last savior of the lefty quarterback fraternity. As a member of that lefty quarterback family, there's there hasn't been a single guy since Kellen Moore in 2017 what I mean, what's going on? Where's the lack of lefties at this point? I mean, it's crazy. Ah, well, I, you know, hear a lot of reasons. Uh, I feel like a lot of them are bad reasons. I think the number one reason, honestly, is just you got a guy that's a rotational athlete that can kind of throw a ball any good, you put him in baseball, right? Like, you got a future, man. You can, you know, lefty one out guy, maybe, you know, late, <laughs> late <laughs> mid reliever guy. You know, like there's always value in uh, some sort of lefty pitcher. Um, I got to think that's got to be a huge part of it yeah. in terms of why you don't see them playing more quarterback. Like, even with that being said, I don't know what the population, like 10% of the population throws left in it, right? Even if you said, okay, baseball's goblin, most of them up, you would still think you would see 5% or so uh, in the NFL or, you know. Yes. of that population being demonstrated. And uh, I, I don't really know. It's an interesting question. Like, the field is symmetrical. Uh, don't, yeah, it's, I don't, you know, I know there's the construction of, you know, your left tackle on your blind side and, you know, your right tackle and right guard. Maybe they're more of your, your run side and your defense is structured to have that pass rush disruptor on the blind side. But the thing is, like, as a quarterback, you know, too, like, defensive lines don't care, man. They want a guy that's disrupted on the pass yeah. rush on the front and back side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I, I don't take, I don't really buy that reasoning. Um, uh, 
You know, the lefties definitely make the drills look worse because you got all the righties like <laughs> when you got like the full quarterbacks yeah, mm-hmm. all lined up and mm-hmm. they're all doing everything symmetrical, like you know, synchronized swimmers. And you got the one lefty over there doing everything backwards. Like, what are you doing, guy? That's why it was uh, kind of funny when you would like teach the drills because like we were an all righty quarterback room and you're like, all right, we're gonna do this drill. You know, we're gonna go three and climb in the pocket and you display it a completely opposite way. It's like, oh, sweet, going after that. So, uh, you know what? I, I would say two things to that. One, and maybe there's a little reason here. One, I've had to really learn to do things well right-handed, at least in terms of footwork. Yeah. So all the drops, all the movements, I demonstrate uh, more often than not right-handed. Oh, now. yeah. Yeah, you, uh, had le- you had learned a nice little three-step by the end. Yeah, I've got – I would say I almost feel better doing it right-handed than a lot of the movements. That's awesome. Throws, um, and, you know, the throws, obviously, I can't do right. Yeah, it's like I, I, I even I'm starting to mess around with it more and more and more because you know, and you hear about lefties and you see lefties in, in the. I think the general takeaway, even in baseball, even in pitchers, dude, there's always like a little bit of a lefties are no matter how talented they are, it's like hmm, that looks a little bit different than I'm used to, right? Yeah, it spins and, a little. Uh, you know like off-speed pitchers in baseball and, you know, all lefty punk, man. And I think part of it probably has to do with there's such in learning, there's such a big mirroring connection with what you see. So you see a right-hander do it. It's very easy, like a righty observing a righty. It's very easy for him to see your left foot move and then for him to move his left foot. Mm-hmm. Whereas now they have to flip the image. And when you have to flip the image – there can be, it's like playing the game of telephone, right? In your brain, like mm-hmm. part of that can get misconstrued now. Now your toes are facing this way with the left foot than this way, right? Mm-hmm. Something's just a little bit left in translation. So um, I think that could be a part of it. You know, you've got a bunch of righty quarterbacks playing, coached by a bunch of righty quarterback coaches, like the guys that come out the most polished, the cleanest technical performers are the guys with the highest level of coaching and practice and the guys that, you know, have that streamlined connection of this is the mirrored image, just replicate this image. You know, that's what a great, very talented student does. They just observe and they replicate, right? Observe, replicate. That's the process. Well, now, like, you put a kink in the hose, right? You make the coach left-handed or you make the quarterback left-handed well, now there has to be an observation, some sort of visual, like, spatial flip, and then they have to practice it, and that's an extra step, right? So yeah. That could be a, a big part of it, and that's a huge reason why I do so much of my stuff right-handed. But I do have a lot of lefty youth, uh, a lot of lefty youth athletes, but I attribute that to a lot of multi-sport guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think you know, like I look at my juniors and seniors in high school. A lot less juniors and seniors in high school are multi-sport athletes that are left-handed. A lot of them are now focused on one sport. Whereas, like maybe sixth through ninth or tenth grade, I have a lot of lefty court, more a higher percentage of lefty quarterback in that group. Do you have a lefty quarterback Mount Rushmore? If you had to rank your your all time lefty quarterbacks, you give me a Mount Rushmore. What is? Your- oh my gosh, you got to you got to be on the spot. I think the number one obvious choice has got to be uh, 
Steve Young. Yep, with you. Got to put Steve Young up as number one, you know, uh, unquestionably. Number two, again, I just don't see. It's unfortunate that he had a short career, but like Vic, like yep. what could that guy have done? A little bit more playing time. Uh, you know, three. You got an interesting little dilemma. You got college. You got to you got to be able to throw at Tim Tebow if you're taking in the yeah, college ranks, right? If you go college, if you go pro, you could go. You got Stabler. You got Bo- Boomer Esiason. You got Stabler and Boomer Esiason in the pros as yeah, well. You got, yeah, Kenny the Snake Stabler. That's, I was gonna say. I was gonna say Stabler and Boomer. I don't know if Boomer ever actually like. I don't even know if it was like a playoff game. You know, I think that's the hard. <laughs> Like Tebow has a playoff win. Basically. It's true. It's true. Um, got got the same over in Gillette. He was he's a beast. Yeah. But and, and then, then uh, and then hopefully yeah hopefully uh, you know Calamari you know, as a as a Kentucky coach take that one as a win and uh, hopefully Tua can do something man. Yeah, Tua's is the the lone survivor. There will be more. Yeah, they're there coming. Will be more. It's gonna happen. Don't worry. They're coming. Don't they're worry. coming. We're coming. I might just start up a school just a lefty, man. It's the revolution. Yeah, I got we're gonna have our lefty punk too, man. Lefty punk. We're gonna do things slightly different, but we're gonna get the job done. I'm with you. A part of me wants to wants to root for you because I do everything except for throwing left handed. I throw right handed, but I write I eat everything else is lefty, so I'm you know, I got I got the soft spot. I want it. Hey, you'll Go and, you know, I found out here in the coaching room, as you go up the ranks, too, you can coach, teach yourself to do some of these things left-handed, you know, in terms of the movement patterns, at least, and now you have to, like, you become the teacher and the student, and you really have to, like, figure out what's going on, and, like, how do I actually make this make sense in my own brain, and that makes you a better compare of that information to the kids like you know like oh this is how I transfer this is how I actually transfer weight from my back with my front foot right like you, you'll go and do a drill and you'll try to transfer weight back to the front foot you feel like you're stuck in mud and you're doing it with the wrong mm-hmm. foot and uh, just go and switch the stance up man try it as a lefty and then you'll get some really good coaching points from it yeah really really quick great advice for young coaches so at this point a nearly borderline consensus best game of all time, NCAA 14. You were, when people purchase NCAA 14, the starting quarterback of the Syracuse Orange, six foot four lefty from, I, I think they gave you New Hampshire, but you're on the game. I know, I know you've said you've gotten the, you got the residual. There was the big Ed O'Bannon $20 million lawsuit. How much of the $20 million did you get back from, being rewarded for having your likeness shoved onto that game. Uh, so I was in the game five years because I was a redshirt freshman. Redshirt freshman, I was in the game for five years. Uh, I think I was a lefty for just that last year. <laughs> um, I forget what the settlement came out to. It was maybe, I think, around like a thousand a year. But it was like a two-parter. I don't know the details, but there was like, like five, four or five K maybe from EA Sports, and then maybe four or five K from the NCAA. Hmm. So it's around that. It was 
probably like eight thousand dollars or so from total. How yeah. You know, for money. being in a video game, like I, I'm doing nothing, like that. It's a good deal. You know, so any self-conscious man, like, like man, I didn't work for that. Like, <laughs> yeah, just, just like I only want to keep the money I work for. <laughs> <laughs> just dropping it off at your doorstep. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did give it back. I'll tell you that. I definitely did give it back. But... <laughs> Nor should you. Nor should you. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on. I got one more thing. Ready? I want to hear your thoughts on this. Burning question of the day. Coach Max, burning question. If you can only order three appetizers for the rest of your life, what are the three appetizers you would order from a restaurant? That's tough. That's tough because some people classify certain things as appetizers and some people classify them as entrees. I'll give you judgment. Give me your – Anyway, all right, my number one is going to be, it's like, you got to figure, like, this is for a table right now, a rack of ribs, right? It's an entree for one person, but it's an appetizer for both. What'd you go with? A rack of ribs, like barbecue ribs. Oh, and, yeah. that might you know be, I mean? is, is, that, is that a little more southern? Like, I'm on, I'm a northern, northeast, like, I, I don't remember really sharing ribs with guys recently yeah i know it, it, it depends on how you decide to order that thing all right so i'll leave those off yeah leave that's yeah we'll... another day number one there's gonna be buffalo wings you gotta yeah. gotta have buffalo get bone in buffalo wings uh you don't have the bone in there it doesn't count you're just eating some sort of weird chicken nugget deal uh, not my friend um second thing uh a great a great nacho, like a great loaded nacho, no deal. It's got to be heavy, heavy on the jalapenos and hot. No, it's got to be spicy. I, I hate when the cheese and spice ratio is up. It's all cheese and there's no salsa. So you just like, you just feel like a, it's just a dairy product. That's hot garbage. Um, third, man, like, I'm getting half of those two. Like, if this, this this is like you know, this is pretty this is pretty universal like like a crab leg yeah like crab legs for the table or mm-hmm. you know some sort of seafood affair here crab legs are like popcorn shrimp mm-hmm. like a buffalo popcorn shrimp and yeah. you put, would you put calamari in that calamari ah uh, you know I get calamari is like really good but then like I look back at it like I really just like the fried shell of it. Take the fried shell off of it, and then I'm just eating like alien brain dipped in like a good red sauce. Well, that's kind of weird. So I'm gonna just stick with uh, popcorn shrimp or crab legs. Gotcha. I love it. I love it. Buffalo wings, loaded nachos, popcorn shrimp. Hell yeah! Yeah, like like you're not gonna be mad if you sat down at that table, like you were late to the party, and you like flipped around, like oh what. But appetizer, you got you see those on the table, you're gonna be pretty fired up. Like if you're got the like the I got kale and spinach dip, like like oh cool, like I'm so fired up. Like no, get out of here. Like a good guac would be good, but it's still not like over the top. Like guac, yeah, I can buy that from the grocery store. 
I know you. It's it, you never want to cheap on the. You don't want to cheap on the appetizer. That's when. That's when the you set the tone for the meal. Yeah, and sometimes I'm I'm a big culprit. I'm just going way too hard and fast on the app. I go so hard and fast on the app because there's also like you know you're hungry. That's, that's your point of highest hunger, right when the apps come out. Mm-hmm. And that's when the animal instinct in every man comes out and, and woman, where I need to feed myself to survive. So you're try if there's twelve wings, and there's four of you out there, like you're trying to eat six of those. You're not trying to eat your four. You know, you're trying to get six to eight of those wings, get two to all the other participants in this game, right? <laughs> you feed the machine. So I'll go so hard on the app though that by the time the entree comes, you know, I fizzled out. Don't eat my pizza or something. <laughs> Take it to go. Take it to go. I love it. All right, Coach. I appreciate you getting on. Good luck tonight's session. Got another session tonight. You know, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. This has been awesome. Appreciate you, buddy. And uh, take care. Tell everybody hello for me. Uh, the St. Ed's country. And I hope everything's good and safe for your family. And that, you know, football year comes around and then we – we all get to go and get after it. Hell yeah, man. All right, well, I love you. I appreciate you coming on, man. And we uh, we will talk to you. Thank you so much, Charlie Loeb, for coming on 3-Step Drop Podcast. Uh, follow us Instagram, Twitter, 3-Step Pod. Uh, for more information, is Charlie Loeb. We're signing out. See you, Coach. See you, buddy.